0: For MeatPoultry.com, I'm Kimberly Klima, executive editor. Welcome to the Meat and Poultry podcast. We have here this morning uh, Colette Caster, the executive director of Paco, and so she's going to tell us a little about, starting with what is Paco and. When was it started and, and, and how does it work in the animal handling and welfare part of the industry?
1: Uh, great question. So <laughs> Paco is a funny name that uh, Tom Bertrand at AASV always says we can blame on him, but it is the Professional Animal Auditor Certification Organization. And that name, just as it sounds, was meant to create standardization and some accreditation. Around animal welfare auditing because when it was started back in the mid 2000s specifically 2004 that didn't exist and you had organizations who had expertise in other areas of auditing examples environment and food safety who were starting to come into the animal welfare world and think that they could begin auditing
0: in an area that they really had no background as far as the standardization goes, what, um, how do the Paco auditors get audited, and how do they get started in working with farms around the country?
1: Yeah. So one point of clarification, um, because this is a really, really common misperception, is Paco doesn't employ any auditors. So Paco provides the certification or the accreditation for the auditors, and so. Um, those auditors who are certified through Paco can choose a number of different specialization areas. So it began with meat, then it went to poultry, and then we added swine, dairy, beef feedlot, and now most recently we've been separating poultry into its component parts. So poultry is made up of layer, broiler, and turkey, but there's a huge demand for broiler welfare auditor training because of the size and scope of that industry. And so we've created a a separate standalone Broiler Welfare Auditor Certification, and we're discussing doing the same for layer so that they can have a much broader training and, and background when they go into it. So there's a number of steps when somebody chooses to seek PACO certification. And the first is that they have to submit their resume and their background, and we have specific requirements for education and experience. Doesn't mean that if you're a high school graduate that you can't become PACO certified, but we ask that you had some additional work experience in the, the industry area that you choose to, to go to. And then obviously they come and take the class and it's an extensive class. And the, the hallmark of the class is that it's always a combination of extensive and detailed classroom training about how to audit in that species area combined with hands-on. So if it's meat plant training, we're out of the plant two times during the training. It's swine welfare. We're in a sow farm one day, and in grow finish another day. Same way with broiler, dairy, and feedlot.
0: So um, that means these classes are held on site, uh, held all around the country, I assume. Yeah, we have a couple
1: of uh, routine areas um, that we typically go back to. For example, the training that always occurs before the NAMI Animal Welfare mm-hmm. Conference. Is always held in Nebraska, and it's almost always uh, a couple of the same cooperating plants, uh, Cargill and Holstone in the past. Uh, Smithfield and JBS have helped with that one as well, and that way attendees can head straight from that training down to the conference. And Nami and Paco recognize uh, sort of one another's members and and provide uh, member rates for for each.
0: Okay. Well, since it's been around now for you know, almost 20 years, it is obviously a a recognized certification out there in the industry. So are plants asking the auditors they're working with if they are PACO certified? And if not, will they go and get certified before they come and work with their operations?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Most large companies will not let an auditor in unless they're certified in that respective area. Um, And that requirement has continued up into Canada um, we have a, uh, an agreement with an auditing company to do training and certification in Brazil. And then we continue to get inquiries from other areas of South America, Central America, Mexico. We've had inquiries from China, of course, with their growing industries as well. So it is becoming very well known, um, even globally, for sure,
0: in uh, North America and the Western Hemisphere. So if you are, you're not obviously employing any of the auditors, but who is doing the training? Who is, is helping with these trainings around the country and um, getting all these be certified? Yep, so we have um, trainers in each area and many of these
1: people are industry icons, if you will, people who work in the area of animal welfare. So that's the other thing that we bring to our training is we use only people who have significant experience. In that area and with auditing and if you think about it that's that's not that large of a group of people right and so um, for meat plant for example we have we always have Temple Grandin so she always sets aside the time um, each year in fact when we when we finish one in May she basically starts looking for the following May's dates because she's always booked out so far in advance and of course that's a huge hit people really enjoy uh, hearing from her but we also have a number of experts from um, from Tyson, from Cargill, from JBS, um, that help with the training from Seaboard Triumph uh, as well. They, often the company that hosts it will uh, provide a trainer as well. Um, and then we have a similar scenario with subject matter experts and trainers in each of the other areas. Okay, Many of our board members serve as trainers too. So our board is made up of the member associations, I might just uh, elaborate on that a little bit. Our member associations are a combination of animal and meat science and the veterinary associations. So the Association of Avian Pathologists, Bovine Practitioners, Swine Veterinarians, Animal Science, Meat Science, Dairy Science, uh, Registered Animal Scientists, ARPAs are all board members. So each of those eight member organizations provides two board members. So, those are almost always either DVMs or PhDs in their respective areas. And so many of them serve as, as trainers. And certainly they do a terrific job of guiding the organization on training materials and our audit standards.
0: Is there a number of, of audits, um, um, actually not audits, certifications that go on every year, a finite number, or does it fluctuate as to like demand for? for people getting um, certified?
1: Well, it's growing, I can tell you that. Um, When I left Smithfield to come to this role, I thought I would be doing a little less traveling, but it hasn't really panned out that way because the demand for animal welfare auditor training has grown so much across so many different sectors. So when I first came to PACO, we hadn't yet begun the training on farm. So swine, dairy, and beef feedlot are all areas that have developed since 2016. That's not necessarily driven by PACO, that's driven by where the respective industries see the need and also the requests from the downstream customers. So first they wanted to make sure that plants were okay and now they wanna make sure that the swine farms and the beef feedlots and the dairy farms that, that go into these plants are or the same way with poultry being so integrated. They want to be able to, to see and audit and have assurances across the whole spectrum.
0: Okay. How many people are normally um, in a class when it's held? Or does that vary?
1: It varies. The smallest is dairy. We limit it to only 10 per training because it is so hands-on. And um, we want to make sure that we're not disruptive to the host operations as well. The biggest one that we end up doing is always the poultry auditor training that includes broiler turkey and layer and we do that big one one time per summer um, and it alternates between University of Arkansas and North Carolina State. So we use a a mix of host companies who are just so generous about opening their doors and investing in animal welfare Uh, and then we use uh, sometimes university facilities as well. Okay.
0: Are, Are there any university people on the board?
1: There are. Um, you can put my memory to the test here, so Dr. Tucker from UC Davis, uh, Dr. John Richardson from um, West Texas, uh, Ken Anderson from North
0: Carolina State are a few that uh, pop into my head without looking at the list. Right. So that's not necessarily like, the, I mean, you said you have the eight member organizations, but university is just like an add-on. Um, Members.
1: Well, no, the universities, so they are members. They are the designees for those organizations. Um, Let's see, Tom Hoagland from uh, UConn is another one. Dr. Delmore, Lynn Delmore um, from Colorado State Mm. uh, as well. So the organizations can choose their two members, and um, they typically try to choose people that work in the area of animal welfare or auditing.
0: Right. Okay. And how often, if you get a PACO certification, do you need to be recertified and attend new, new classes? Um, so
1: we ask that everybody recertify annually. They don't have to come back necessarily to a PACO class, but they do have to do continuing education. So they're required to have 12 hours of continuing education, and we maintain a list on our website that are uh, automatically approved. But we also recognize, uh, for example, plant people, if they're doing uh, training within the plant with their employees. um, Same way, we have a lot of auditors that are tied to their their individual locations. Um, So we recognize online training. We're trying to offer more online training that people can do for continuing education as well. And then we're beginning to develop auditor repeatability training to make sure that those people who have gone from the through the training continue to be um, calibrated each year. And so we have a dairy online auditor repeatability training uh, with the support of National Pork Board. We developed one for um, swine auditor repeatability training and next up will be um, some beef feedlot and um, broiler examples of that. So those would be videos where people would actually go in and score lameness, gait score, body condition, Um, the benchmarking uh, concerns that are in the the pork audit um, and can really test themselves and generate a score. Hear from the experts in the industry on the Meat Poultry Podcast. The latest news, trends, technologies, and people in the world of meat and poultry processing delivered right into your ears. Listen every Friday and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts,
0: Spotify, or wherever you listen to
1: podcasts.
0: Speaking of like National Pork Board and some of the other um, associations, how does PACO work with those groups, um, those associations in the different industries?
1: So we work really closely um, with all the associations that have an audit. And when we do the training for auditors, we always try to choose what we feel like is the most representative audit, the most widely used audit. So in the past, um, you know, as an example with NAMI, that is the go-to audit for meat and is becoming the really the global audit for that. Um, but in the case of some of the on-farm ones, there have evolved to be multiple audits. And so we've tried to evolve with that too, um, or as we go from country to country. Um, Canada, for example, has its assessments and its codes of practice, and so we wanna make sure that we're not teaching them about U.S. auditing tools um, at the expense of things that they'll be using in their own industry. So we've really tried to integrate um, all the different tools and tried to teach um, concepts and then, oh, here's the difference in how you might measure that from audit A to audit B. Okay.
0: And you mentioned that um, you've been... Uh, with Paco since 2016 and you came from Smithfield. So what was your previous experience and how did it lend itself to your new to your role at Paco? Yeah, um,
1: so I'm trained as a meat scientist. Uh, I've been working in the pork industry for a really long time, almost <laughs> 30 years. Um, but early on in my career, even when I was with PIC, the topic of animal welfare and animal handling was becoming to be more widely discussed. First, because of its influence on pork quality, frankly, Um, and then because we started to get more attention paid to regulations, and then we developed audits and we developed programs, and it's just kind of snowballed into a bigger and bigger thing. Mm -hmm. So I have been fortunate in my career to have frequently gone into roles where There was no definition for the role where nobody had been in the the role before, and that was true when I went to to premium standard farms. And so I spent a bunch of time back in the hog handling area before we'd even written a program, before USDA routinely spent time back there, before we had regular audits, that kind of thing. And so really trying to understand layouts. Um, I was pretty involved with bringing the first CO2 system back into the U.S. So it was used in the 50s, and then we went away from it. Um, and then. Uh, we brought the first one back into to Milan, Missouri um, and started to, to sort of look at uh, handling and, and stunning pigs differently. So it's something that I've always worked on in my career. Um, you know, later in my years in Smithfield, I went more into to managing and I had our quality assurance groups and then our hog procurement group. Um, but animal handling and welfare was always an element of everything that I did that my entire career so far.
0: Okay. So then when, um, was there a previous person in the executive director role of PACO that you were, mm-hmm. you know, moving in for?
1: Yep. So Mike Simpson um, had helped um, start PACO mm-hmm. um, with the help of some of the board members like Angela Basinger and um, Tom Bertrand, who I mentioned before, um, people who kind of had the idea and, you know, scratched it out on the back of a napkin type of deal. And so Mike came in and he had uh pork board experience and he and his wife, Becky did a great job of getting Paco off the ground. You know, you're talking about setting up training from nothing, right. Mm-hmm. And getting people to, um, to buy into that this was necessary and beneficial. Um, and he did a great job of putting it on the map and then, um, he decided to retire and, we at Smithfield had hosted many PACO trainings, um, so we had served as trainers, a bunch of different ones of us, and um, hosted trainings, uh, been pretty involved with it, helped do shadow audits, all that kind of thing, and so when that role came open, I thought, um, hey, these things don't don't come up very often, and I took a look at it, and made a big leap from industry into uh, the world of not-for-profit and association management.
0: Mm -hmm. Great. And you do have other, um, a couple other people working with PACO as, you have a training coordinator Mm -hmm. and can you tell me what their roles are, um, your other actual employed by PACO people?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, uh, Dakota Thomas is um, a great young individual that we added to PACO uh, pretty early on. And she is very involved with uh, the website, with the database, with uh, putting together the training materials with any kind of graphics that we do. So she's got a great background in beef. And so she's taken the lead in the feedlot training, the dairy training, and then helping to, to manage those materials. And then we have Marjorie Jones, who is kind of the glue for the organization. She does all the recertifications, sends the certificates to people, answers all the questions, helps with the shadow audits. And then recently, we brought on three training specialists um, on a contract basis, and it works great because each of them have their own uh, very successful consulting businesses and many years of industry experience. And so we brought on Laura Wright, who um, spent many years with Tyson, and she is taking the lead on feedlot, red meat, and swine. Jennifer Woods, who's had her own consulting company for for many years in Canada, she's a a world-renowned transportation handling expert. And she's actually certified, one of the few people that's certified in all five areas. So she's helping lead the training efforts in Canada um, and some of the international. And then Don McIntyre recently joined us and he has a poultry background and is gonna be helping us with the growing demand for poultry training as well. So it's been great to bring uh, that team together.
0: You did mention shadow auditing. Um, Can you tell me a little more about that?
1: Yep. So I was walking you through the process of when somebody decides to go through the training, Mm -hmm. so they have qualified, they've come to the training, they have to take an exam. Um, The exams um, started off as um, pretty simple, multiple choice. And over the past couple years, we've really evolved them into conceptual, experiential exams. Okay, here's the scenario, you're on this farm, there's photos, there's a scenario description, and they have to tell what they would do as an auditor. So they have to pass the exam. There's a a passing score set by the board of directors. Then once they've passed, they have one year to complete what we call shadow audits. The formal name for shadow audits is Auditor Performance Report. And those are audits that are conducted with the oversight of an already certified auditor. So if you were going to go to meat plant training, um, Joel went to it for example, if you were going to go to meat plant training, you'd take the exam and then you might contact me and say, hey, um, I need to do my shadow audits. So we'd go into a plant facility and we would audit together. So um, each certified auditor does it a little bit differently. Some would let you take the lead and do the whole audit, some would do team auditing um, and then those. Uh, forms which are pretty extensive they have to do with like, description of the audit um, some of the key auditor characteristics how were your on decision making communication did you understand um, what you were auditing and, and were you able to you know objectively assess that and then your knowledge of the audit itself so those come back into us we review them and then determine if you're eligible for certification okay. so it's a pretty it's a pretty lengthy process and um, for particularly for people that are independent auditors, sometimes it can be difficult to get into facilities to do the, the shadow audits. So mm-hmm. um, we try to hope that our industry friends will work with them and, and invest the time to, to really develop good auditors.
0: Okay, great. So is there, is there anything more about Paco that you'd want to share with the audience or share with the industry that you feel like maybe people are unaware of?
1: So the other um, big area that um, Paco is involved in that I think some people know about um, and some don't, and that is the certification of the audits themselves. So we have a set of audit standards that have been created by the board and um, massaged, but they break into um, really uh, kind of four separate areas. The, The scope and description of the audit, the sampling, how it's structured the animal-based measures, facility measures, and then documentation and SOPs. So within each of those, we have a pretty lengthy number of criteria. So for example, um, many of the groups that I already mentioned, um, NAMI, National Pork Board, National Chicken Council, and then um, a number of private companies choose to have their audit go through the certification process. And just like the training, it's pretty rigorous. So we have the standards, then we actually um, work with the external um, expert panel. So I'll choose three panelists, um, myself and the, the Qualifications and Standards Committee, we'll choose three panelists. And one of them always has an animal welfare science background. And then the other two typically have um, experience in that industry and experience auditing. And so those three, plus our board liaison will work together to review the audit and make a, a really robust comparison to our standards. That's usually a back and forth process. So I think the shortest one we've ever done was five months. The longest one we've done, um, in my experience so far, was um, about 14 months. So it can be it can be quite the arduous process. The other two that are kind of interesting that are in there, and they're all listed on our website, which is animalauditor.org, are um, we recently did one for the Fur Commission, uh, USA. So uh, they were under significant pressure to make sure that their audit had been through some kind of a review process. You can imagine when you're raising mink that you are uh, under uh, the, that you are directly in people's crosshairs. Um, so uh, it was very interesting. Learned a ton about that industry, but we had to find, of course, three expert panelists um, with that type of experience, um, and they just did a tremendous job. And the other interesting one that we have is one that was done for people who do pest control. So raccoons, bats, mm-hmm. moles, rats, um, and that's over in British Columbia. And um, that directs the uh, oversight of the behavior of people that are they're capturing pests and, and removing
0: them. So kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so who is then who's doing the auditing of the audits? I mean, is it is just your crew? Is it part of the board members? Who is who's doing the overlooking of all this?
1: So it's the third party. Um, so the, uh, the expert panel that mm-hmm. I described uh, in conjunction with our board members that sit on the Qualifications and Standards Committee. And so once that audit is certified, they have to resubmit it each year and they have to show change notice form, um, direction on continuous improvement, and then it's required to go back through an expert panel review every five years because we don't want the audits just being um, stagnant. We want to see, of course, in an area like animal welfare and handling, um, we expect them to be evolving and there to be continuous improvement elements
0: all the time as well. Okay. And you mentioned um, different parts of, of your board and the committees. What are the committees that make up? Um, the organization, what you said qualities and standards, Mm -hmm. what are some of the other?
1: Yeah, so the two key committees um, that really we divide the board into Mm -hmm. are qualifications and standards. So that oversees um, the audit standards, the training standards, um, the exam scores, the shadow audits, all of the the criteria around certification. And then the other committee is training and education. So they help us look at the materials, at the trainers. evolving into to any new areas, how we make sure that we keep that consistent. Um, and uh, So usually at any board meeting, we'll typically separate into those two committees, and the committees will do their work, and then we'll come back together and uh, kind of review and, and make decisions based on that.
0: Is there any um, of the training that can be done online or any you know, recertification process that can be done online? or?
1: Yeah, we recently, uh, recently, meaning in the last 18 months, uh, created a new uh, learning management system platform uh, with our uh, website provider. So the way that it's structured right now, most of the online training is a prerequisite prior to coming to, to training. So particularly for auditors that might uh, be working for commercial audit companies and then going across different species or, or sectors. We want to make sure that they have a really good background um, in that industry. And so we've got a beef 201, broiler 201, turkey 201, basic avian biology and welfare. Um, then we have the series of auditor repeatability uh, trainings that are under development. And then we're also starting to work with um, experts to create some additional online training because people have a huge demand for online training mm-hmm. and continuing education. So. We're working with uh, Lily Edwards-Calloway and Kurt Vogel um, to do an animal behavior series, and uh, with Joy Mensch to do a layer 201, an advanced layer welfare, and Dr. Tucker's putting together one for dairy. And so uh, we intend to continue reaching out to some of the the world experts in animal welfare and put together those materials so that people can learn more. People love learning about it, so even if it's, you know, people that are based at a plant or on a farm, mm-hmm. um, they definitely have a desire to learn more and more about the animals that they're working with.
0: Okay, great. Is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners?
1: Oh, I think we've covered it. <laughs> I really appreciate the opportunity for people to learn more about PACO. I know it's a kind of a funny-sounding name, um, but I think people uh, have a good feel for the, the basic concept and have been just tremendously
0: supportive. Great. And you said it's animalauditor.org?
1: Animalauditor.org.
0: is yeah. where you can find out more. So thanks for joining us at the Meat and Poultry podcast. And um, we'll look forward for uh, the next episode.
1: Make sure to check out the latest stories from the magazine and online at meatpoultry.com. Also, follow us on social media on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, all by searching at meatpoultry. And if you like what you heard, please leave a rating and review. It really helps us. All right, that's it for this time, folks. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.